0: It's great to see you on this uh, New Year's Day. If you have your Bibles, we you turn in them to Second Corinthians, chapter five, if you will. Hey, before we get started, I have an announcement to make. Uh, next Sunday, you're going to want to be here, so pull out your devices, whatever you have—your iPhone, Android, whatever it is. Whatever's on Sunday, you're, you're going to race it, and you're going to put church. We're going to be at church. Next year, or, sorry, next year, uh, next Sunday, we are going to be uh, talking about a very important milestone here at Calvary Chapel Cardinal, and that is our 20th anniversary. Next Sunday will be our 20th anniversary as a church. It was 20 years ago that we started here, and uh, you are not going to want to miss this. Uh, we feel that it's very important to once again remind ourselves, not only as pastors, but as our congregation, the purpose of why God raised this church up, and what it means to be a church, and to get our bearings, to make sure that we're always on task, on mission, doing what God would have us to do, and uh, not getting sidetracked by the things that the world would want us to get into, but staying true to what God has designed the church to be see god's got a very definitive design for the church it's we who like to try to reinvent it and uh uh make it something more or less than what we we can't make it anything more than what god wanted it to be It, it is what god wants it to be anything that we try to add to it diminishes that And so we need to get, we need to make sure that we're focusing on what God wants us to focus on. And we're going to start that next Sunday as we're going to look at some texts together that were uh, fundamental and foundational to our church. And uh, we're going to be kicking it off by a very special video presentation. A young man in our church, Michael Petty, uh, uh, produced, directed, wrote a film that he made on his college campus in Montana. And uh, it's called Absolution. And we're going to show it and uh, present it next Sunday because it sums up what God wants to do here. It's perfect timing. We couldn't have hit it better. And it's amazing because, you know, Michael now being part of our church for a long time, now in college, he grew up through our Sunday school program and so forth, he gets it and he sees what it's all about. And uh, he, this phenomenal film. I can't speak highly enough of it. And uh, we're going to be presenting that next week as we kick off our 20th anniversary. Now, though the church started 20 years ago, God started working even before that, 23 years ago. 23 years ago, on New Year's Eve, I should say, New Year's Day, 1201, I proposed to my wife. You know what she said? Can you guess? She said yes. I mean, it, I had a 50-50 shot there, and she went for it. And uh, that's when God really started working. The next morning, myself and uh, Dina and Carrie uh, went out for breakfast on New Year's Day, and we met someone who was sitting at the table across from us that were old friends with Dina. And uh, it looked like she had a really good night the night before. And uh, We started uh, talking to her and sharing the Lord with her. And I think it was from that conversation that Dory came to Christ. That's when everything started. And then it moved into a Bible study. And then it moved into a church. And we're going to go back and we're going to see what God led us to do at the beginning. And we're going to keep on going where God would have us to go. And we're going to start all of that next Sunday. So where are you going to be? Church. That's right. That's right. But this morning, I thought we would kick it off this new year with a message entitled, A New Beginning. There are many times in a person's life where they would say to themselves, this is a new beginning in my life. Maybe it's that moment that they graduate high school or graduate college. Or maybe it's that moment that they get married and they say, this is a new beginning for my life. Or maybe it's that moment financially when you get yourself completely out of debt and you've paid that last mortgage payment. This is a new beginning for my life. You see, there are many new beginnings that we may be offered within our life, but if we do not capitalize on those new beginnings, we will lose those beginnings, those opportunities that have been afforded to us. And this is so important for us to understand It's one thing to be given a new beginning. It's another thing to capitalize on that new beginning and to truly use it in the manner it is meant to be used and appreciated. And one of the cornerstone fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith is that Christianity offers us a new beginning. But that new beginning is not meant to then say, okay, I've got this new beginning. It's an incredible thing. And now I'm going to spend it on myself. That's not what the new beginning is all all about. See, a new beginning can create what I call a vacuum in a person's life. It it can be a demarcation. It can be a a, a line of division, saying something now is changing, something now is happening. But if I don't capitalize on it, if I don't make changes, if I don't do something new, all I'm going to do is continue in that new beginning, the same manner, in the same manner that I did previously. Christianity gives us that new beginning. Christianity affords us that moment that we've come to Christ and, and by His grace we are saved and, and He brings us to the realization of our need for Him and He opens our eyes and opens our heart and we realize at that, that moment that we need Him as a Savior, a new beginning is then given to us. But that new beginning is not meant to be spent on ourselves, for ourselves. For ourselves. There's purpose to that new beginning. There's a reason that God is giving you that new beginning. That new beginning is meant to glorify him and to demonstrate to all around us what God is capable of doing in the individual life. And no better passage explains it so thoroughly than 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 11 through 21. Let's read our text this morning, and then we'll look at it more closely in detail. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about Uh, About our outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right minds, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have. "...concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who is for their sake dead and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh." not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us, uh, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sakes He has made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Father, we just ask now, Jesus open our hearts to these words. We open. We pray that the spirit would speak to us this morning in Jesus name. One of the greatest promises of a new beginning is found right there in verse 17. It's a promise that liberated me in my Christian life many years ago. Growing up in a difficult home, a home that was just uh, absolutely stained by alcoholism, sin, and wickedness. As I was driving to church after becoming a Christian, as I was driving to church, I was listening to a prominent uh, Christian psychologist on the radio who were, who at that moment was interviewing uh, adult children of alcoholic parents. And I was Riveted by their story. And then I heard that prominent psychologist say something that I never anticipated that I would ever hear. That because the, these two individuals in whom he was interviewing had been raised by alcoholic parents, there was no way that they were ever going to be able to have fully healthy marriages themselves or relationships themselves uh, because of the uh, impact of that alcoholism upon their life that they were going to have trouble with their parenting and that they needed to be in therapy to get through this to allow them to have somewhat normal life and allowing them to get past the bondages and the sin and the scars of alcoholism. I was devastated when I got to church. I said, Lord, I can't believe that you 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 did all of this for me and you can't release me from the past in a manner that now I'm condemned to bring it into the family that you may have for me with my wife and my children and so forth. And I sat in my car and I cried before God. I said, Lord, this can't be. You've got to be greater than this. And I decided to sit there and just wait and then before i knew it the bible study was ending people were heading out to their cars they all looked at me like what were you doing man you're really late the study's already over you know and i was just bawling because i was a new believer so i went into the study and the pastor was there and he saw me and he knew something was wrong and he pulled me aside right away and i told him everything that had happened he said something to me. He said, listen, I've got this for you. It's from the Lord. He says, and he read to me, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old have passed away, and behold, all things have come new. He says, you're new in Christ, man. You don't have to continue in those ways. You don't have to be subjected to those things. You don't have to be... uh, uh, snared with those things any longer you're a new creation in jesus christ and i want to let you know to this day that after 22 years of marriage none of the effects of an alcoholic uh, home has entered into my home and not because of me it's because of christ and this verse was given to me but it wasn't until years later that I discovered that this newness, this new creation that I had become in Jesus Christ had such a great uh, meaning to it, that there was much more than just allowing me to be brand new. There was much more to it that God wanted. He gave me this newness. He allowed me to become this new creation in him for a specific purpose. First of all, let us understand that this promise is given to anyone who is in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 17 with me. If anyone is in Christ, no matter who the person is, it doesn't matter what your social class of distinction may be, if you are in the body of Christ, let, there be, uh, let it be clear that there is no favoritism or no class distinction within the body of Christ. We are all in Christ Jesus equally. And therefore, this promise is to each and every one of us who are in Christ Jesus. As Paul was ministering there in Corinth... He was coming now to the point where he wanted them to know that they were a new creation, that old things have passed away, all things are brand new for the purpose of allowing them to become who God wanted them to be. And then, therefore, being who God wanted them to be, they then could proclaim verbally the incredible message of reconciliation back onto God. That's what was the purpose of all of this was. And it's for each and every one of us who are in Christ Jesus. Once you've come to Jesus Christ, the old life is done away with. It only comes back when you bring it back. It only comes back when you decide not to walk into the Spirit, but live by the flesh. And it is for those distinctly who are in Christ. It's a phrase that Paul used over and over and over again to describe the believer in Jesus Christ. It is more than just an academic term or an intellectual term meaning in Christ. It is a positional term. Either you're in Christ or you're out of Christ. There's no in between. There's no gray area between the two. And Paul says, for those who are in Christ, and then later described what this meant in Romans chapter 6, if you'll turn there, verses 1 through 14, I believe gives us a great synopsis of our, for our understanding what it means to be in Christ. And it completely works through this theme of becoming brand new in Christ. In Romans 6, as Paul is making the argument, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What shall we say then, he writes? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So that you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make, it, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness but present yourself to god as those who have been brought from death to life and that you're members of god's instruments for righteousness for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace this is a great synopsis of what it means to be a christian Okay, we are not to be the same as we were before. That's what he's saying in a very elegant and very thorough manner. We cannot continue in the sins that we occupied previous to our Christian uh, conversion uh, if we are truly going to represent God properly. And we don't have to any longer because we have been released by from that sin by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ through the grace of God. Paul said it this way, very clearly and distinctly in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what it means to be a new creation in Christ. Christ. It isn't simply just releasing me from the bondages to allow me freedom to continue on living for myself. No, He is releasing me from the bondages of sin and death that I may live for Him and glorify Him through every aspect of my life. That's what that means. And there's distinct purpose to it. He calls us a new creation there in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's a term that we may simply define in the subjective manner of our personal understanding or the culture in which we live in, but understanding that phrase, that Greek phrase, from the perspective of Paul and those who had read it there in that first century when he wrote it would have had a far greater appreciation and understanding of what he is speaking of and meaning by a new creation. Paul first used this term actually in his first letter, the book of Galatians, when he said, But far from it me to be boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. That's what matters. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Paul knew that the distinction of a true, regenerated Christian life was going to be distinct. It wasn't going to be simply displayed by circumcision or non-circumcision. It was going to be something more, something superior to both of those conditions. That these individuals were going to be new creations in Christ. This is what Jesus, I believe, alluded to when he was speaking to Nicodemus there in John 3, three, And Jesus answered him and said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And again, Paul brings this motif again to the Romans passage that we read just momentarily when he said, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might walk in the newness of life this is what that new creation means as you look further into the usage of that and i believe paul was picking up on that when he used this term to the corinthian church we we have to understand that this phrase of new creation was to stir hope in the one who was the new creation It was to stir hope in their hearts and in their minds, just as it did me so many years ago when I heard it by my pastor saying, I was a new creation in Christ, and therefore I was no longer subjected to my old life. It's meant to stir hope. And many of the apocalyptic visionaries who spoke of a new creation in which the Gentile oppression of Israel would be once and for all finally uh, vindicated over all the nations of the world, meaning that Israel would once again as a nation be released from the oppressions of Gentile nations, and they would then be brought back to that place of prominence, and that place of prominence in their mind was considered Israel as a new creation. And Paul is, I believe, bringing that to our attention because he wants us to understand that something significant has happened. As we are going to learn in just a moment, often this new creation is preceded by a judgment of God. Therefore, the judgment of God that is therefore rendered upon the subject, the nation, or the world then produces this new creation to allow the fullness of the glory of God to be uh, comprehended and apprehended by the individual. Sometime later, we realize that converts to Judaism were called new creatures in God. As one wrote, he said this, Depicting conversion as a dramatic new creation underscores a complete and irrevocable break with the past. And so it is the ideal expression to apply to converts from a pagan environment like Corinth. Paul's point was to remind the Corinthians who they are in Christ, a renewed humanity already being transformed into the image of Christ through the Spirit. It wasn't until the Dead Sea Scrolls were found that more uh, understanding of this term new creation was discovered. And of course, the Dead Sea Scrolls are some of the most uh, precious and uh, complete um, recordings that we have of the Old Testament. If you've ever had an opportunity to see some of them on display, I would greatly encourage you to do so but no doubt the dead sea scrolls indicated that this term new creation takes us all the way back into the old testament and gives us even a more rich defined understanding of this term by bringing to our attention the first time these phrases are used in the bible and it is found in isaiah where we look in isaiah 65:17 and 18 where Isaiah writes, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. That's interesting. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, and her people to be a gladness. And then reminded of how Paul takes on that same flavor when he says and writes in our text this morning, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. Old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul's intention here is this. He is looking at you and I who are in Christ, who are being given this new beginning. We are the foreshadows of what God is eventually going to do ultimately in the new heavens and in the new earth found in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. You and I are at the beginning of that process through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And though it hasn't been fully realized and uh, the consummation hasn't been fully brought about and and the uh, judgment hasn't fully been poured out upon this world as of yet, you and I should be glimpses of what is yet to come. As D.L. Moody said, and I love the way he said this, he said that each and every time an unbeliever comes to church, they should be given a glimpse of heaven within that service. So we becoming new creations in Christ, all things passed away, all things brand new, we are then being set up we are being uh, brought to bear. We are brought into the uh, darkness of this world as lights to draw people onto Jesus Christ because we should be giving them a taste of what is yet to come. And why are we those new creations in Christ? Has judgment preceded that ability to become new creations? Absolutely. For sin was judged at the cross. Therefore, when we become believers, when we are, are given that grace to receive Christ, and then we come and we um, bow and we repent and we are then lifted up by Him, the judgment of our sins releases us from the bondage of our old life and allows us to become that new creation and therefore allows us to be that, um, to be that taste of what is still yet to come. And why does God do this? Why does God do this in our life? It's for a purpose. Why does He bring us to this place as lights in the darkness? It's for a purpose. As one wrote, he says, Paul focuses here on the radical new change that comes to one who has received the message of the cross and has been reconciled to God. But if we were just to leave it there, the vacuum would be created. This new beginning then could be spent in a frivolous manner and therefore never reach its full potential. Being released from the past allows me to grow going forward. I no longer have to look over my shoulders. I no longer have to be concerned that the sins of my uh, life before Christ are going to intrude upon my sanctification in Christ going forward. But look at what Paul says in verse 20 of our text. We have been given this because we have become, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There are those who will debate that only Paul was the ambassador. But I don't believe that's what Paul was saying. He wasn't confining it to himself. Remember the promise. It is for all who are in Christ Jesus have become this new creation. I believe that each and every one of us have been given this blessing of new creation. And what do I mean by that? What do I mean by a new creation? Because you may be saying, well, pastor, after I got saved, I looked in the mirror and the same person was looking back at me that looked at me the previous day. Christianity is so unique compared to every other religion in the world, that every other religion pales in comparisons and shows itself false in the light of Christ. See, God takes us and changes us from the inside. The moment that we receive Christ, the moment that we become born again, what happens within us is that spirit that was dead and uh, separated from God and was suppressed by the uh, nature of our flesh has been resurrected. And therefore, we can interact with God through that spirit that indwells us. The Holy Spirit resurrecting us, allowing us then to interact with God through Christ Jesus. The Spirit then working in us, changing us from the inside out, conforming us back into the image of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that one who is out of Christ, one who is a non-believer, is continuously being conformed to the image of this world and is becoming more animalistic in nature, living for the mere pleasures and passions of the person's flesh, eating, sleeping, uh, procreating, and so forth. But we who are a new creation in Jesus Christ, we have been given new life, And now we can interact with God. And now the Spirit is working in us through the Word of God, conforming us back into the image of Jesus Christ that we may be bearers of this incredible news called the Gospel and that we may stand in the grace of God through the mercy of God, through the love of God as ambassadors to the entire world on behalf of God. That's why we've been given the ability to be new creations that allow us to become ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Again, knowing the time in which Paul wrote this, this was a very, very difficult thing for him to write. It was something that was uh, very... cutting to the people who were listening there was a lot of audacity that's the best word i could find in paul for writing this because he is comparing himself to one of the most prominent individuals that spoke on behalf of king or empire nero and went into certain areas proclaiming the roman empire to those areas that had not yet been conquered or an ambassador that was sent to an area that had been conquered to continue to establish them in the ways of the Roman Empire. These individuals were the most choice of pedigrees. Not everyone could become an ambassador of Rome. They had to come from certain families. They had to have certain educations. Uh, They were part of a group called the illiteraries, and they were individuals that were highly regarded, highly uh, revered, Reverenced by the people in which they were sent to. If an ambassador came to an area that Rome had not yet conquered, there was fear when that ambassador came because most likely the uh, the the empire was behind that ambassador, just waiting to take control of that area. In other places, they were continuously establishing the Roman edicts throughout the conquered areas of. The Roman Empire and Paul says we have become ambassadors people reading this would have said what Paul you don't even have two nickels to your name Uh, you're a scrawny older gentleman you don't look like you you should be anything uh, you let alone an ambassador and Paul says we are ambassadors and it isn't for a mere man named Caesar It isn't for a mere worldly empire such as Rome. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We are ambassadors for God. And wherever we go, we are going to proclaim to those areas who have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we go back to areas in which have heard it, then we are going to encourage them to continue to be reconciled unto God. That's the message here that is being proclaimed. As an ambassador, an ambassador does not speak to please his audience, but the king who sent him and him alone. An ambassador does not speak on his own authority. His own opinion or demands mean very little. He simply says what he has been commissioned to say. But an ambassador is more than a mere messenger. He is also a personal representative of the king in whom he has been sent. And he is meant to honor that king by his conduct and by each and every word that proceeds from his mouth. Now you're getting a better understanding of why we're new creations. It's to allow us to be these ambassadors. To allow us... To have our conduct reflect our Heavenly Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our King. To allow us to speak each and every word, not on the basis of our own authority, but on that which He would have us to say. As one wrote, he says, Paul thus describes his role and the role of all believers As a messenger representing the king of heaven with the gospel who pleads with the people of the world to be reconciled to God who is their true and rightful king. See, as a Christian, as I am now a new creation in Christ, I am no longer meant to be an ambassador. See, we are all ambassadors for someone or something. Let me explain. If you are in Christ, you are meant to be an ambassador for Christ. If you are in the world, then you are an ambassador for the ruler of this world who is Satan himself. We are not to be, as believers, an ambassador for the ruler of this world. We as believers in Jesus Christ are not to be ambassadors for ourselves. And we as believers in Jesus Christ should not be ambassadors for any other fictitious persona in which we choose to adopt and display. We've all seen it, right? People who try to emulate people that they admire and respect people who want to be considered part of that genre. We were all there. We all wanted to be something that we were not at one time. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, we are solely meant to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And that is the purpose of the newness of life, this new beginning that God affords us. That wherever we may go, individuals get a taste, a glimpse of what God is capable of doing and is yet one day going to do completely and fully in this world. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. I believe there are many places in which Paul sums up for us this reality, and this is one of them that I believe truly speaks clearly to this point. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ meaning if you're in Christ seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your mind on these things that are above and not on the things that are on the earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God when Christ who is your life appears then you will also then you will appear with him in glory Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, be it sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath And in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy, beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If you have a complaint against another, forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so that you must be forgiven. And above all these things, put on love In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now you may have the question, well, Pastor, I was given that new start. I see now that this new creation that I have become was meant that I... For me to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ in the world. And that world is your world, wherever you may go. Again, as I told you from the beginning, it doesn't matter where you go, but when you are there, please remember that you're an ambassador there on Christ's behalf. And you were given that new opportunity, but you failed. You messed up. Sin came back and you fell into its temptation. Can you be renewed again? Is it possible to ever become that ambassador again for Christ? And my answer to you is yes. See, we've been giving a promise by John, a blessed promise, and it states in John, 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It would be easy to read by that word "cleanse" and not see its true magnitude. But He says, "You know what? If you come to Me and you confess your sins, and you, uh, I am faithful and just to forgive you of those sins, and guess what else I'm going to do for you? Not only am I going to forgive you, I'm going to cleanse you. You know what it means?" He's going to put you back to that new state once again. That you may be that ambassador once again. We all fail. We all make mistakes. None of us are perfect in this process of sanctification, in this time between the moment we've accepted the Lord and the moment we go home to be with the Lord, that time we, re- we wrestle with a duality of our flesh and the Spirit who war against one another, and we have all sinned in that position. But is it possible to start again, even though the new beginning has already been brought to you? And my answer to that is a definitive Yes just confess your sins and he is faithful and just to forgive you of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness hebrews tells us that in these times of our need that we can run into the throne room of god as children of god and find grace and help and mercy in our time of need If that was not enough, we are given this blessed promise found in the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. And I'll end with this. As we're running into the throne room of God, needing to confess our sins before Him, to allow Him to restore us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and to bring us back to that place that we may be ambassadors for Him, remember these words. These are the words of the heart of the one who sits on that throne. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That was a perfect place for an amen. Totally blew it. Amen. I'm going to read it again, give you another opportunity, because that was really bad. Uh, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Father, we thank You for Your Word.